One, two, three. Okay, can you hear me on the microphone? All right, so. Handheld. No color. One, two, three. That should be good. Just don't let them drop it. No, just let them. But when they hold the mic, they, they should be here and not like, okay, I'm on Phil Donahue, and, you know, it's like here, like... Well, I call it Chance the Rapper. There you go.
And counterclockwise. And taking the hands and circulating. And up overhead. And leaning to one side. Other side. And back. And now bending down and pushing down to the middle. And to the left. And to the right. And just dropping the hands and letting the head hang. Taking a couple of deep breaths. And brushing the legs down. And patting the legs down. Okay. Standing up. And pointing the toe up. Circulating. Holding on to the elbows. And then ten fingers. And brushing the leg down. And patting the leg. on up and the other side elbows ten fingers brushing down And padding. And standing up. And the three fingers. And two fingers. And holding 
the big toe, right between the big toe and the next toe. And releasing and breathing. And brushing down. And patting down. And the other side. Three fingers. No, six, six fingers, sorry, can't count. And two fingers. Holding the big toe. Relax, breathe. And brush down. And pat down. And standing up. And one foot forward, the other foot back. And shoulder rotation. switch and swinging the arms kidney and shoulder slaps and switch And lunging, nice stretch on the inner thigh, and then pointing your finger to the extended leg and opening up your chest. Changing directions. Pointing your foot towards the extended leg, extending your arm, other side. Standing up and brushing up. Okay, fingers massages, hands and the thumbs. And each finger. Other hand. And just the 
these push gently, very gently from your fingertips up. Other side. Now the throat. And the other side. And massaging the temples. And the point at the corner of the eye. Points on the side of the nose. And the lips. Using the other hand. And the ears. The outer of the ear. Pulling, pressing, stimulating. Inner ear. And just gently tapping on the head. And tapping on the fingers and the arms, the shoulders, and the other arm, the other shoulder, and the chest, abdomen, legs. Feet, inner leg, and back. Ah, wonderful. And shake, 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 shake. Shake, 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 shake. Shake, 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 shake. Excellent. Okay, so let's do a few minutes of Qigong standing poses. So the first posture is our feet are about a hips width apart. Toes are spread out. Our weight is dropped into the floor. We have energetic anchors that go through the floor, the, through this first floor into the earth below. Our sitting bones are tucked under, our spine is elongated, our shoulders are rolled back, our neck is elongated, our fingers are gently curled, and there's a like a an egg under our armpit so that there's a space between our hands and our legs. And our tongue is gently resting at the roof of the mouth. Breathing in, and when we breathe out, we just express all the air out.
When we express, we also invite a relaxation. Now we move into second posture where the legs are shoulders width apart. Knees are slightly bent and they're turned over the feet. The tailbone again is tucked under. Spine is elongated. Neck is elongated. Chin is tucked in. Just a fraction. And the arms raise up effortlessly. Elbows pointing slightly down, fingers and thumbs pointing towards each other, rounded like we're hugging a nice, big redwood tree. Again, the tongue is at the roof of the mouth. And now with the breath, we want to imagine the breath coming in through the soles of our feet, up our legs, up the back of our spine, over the top of our head, and down the central part of our body. With each out-breath, relaxing the shoulders, relaxing the neck, relaxing the gripping in the abdomen and in the buttocks, relaxing the pelvic floor. A nice, gentle smile on your face. Opens the nostrils, allows more air to come in. Sends a message of ease in your whole body. So this posture is dynamic. It's still, but it's absolutely dynamic. In some ways, meditation is the same. It's still and absolutely dynamic. Relaxing, relaxing the jaw, relaxing the neck, relaxing the shoulders. Noticing unpleasant sensation. Noticing pleasant sensation. Not being bullied by unpleasant sensation. It's unpleasant. It's all right. We have choices where we focus and how we relate to what we are focusing on. Breathing out, relaxing, releasing. Now, opening the hands, looking through a triangle, noticing everybody in the space. There's people, there's chairs, there's a screen above the shrine, there's sound. Continuing with the breath through the bottom of the feet, up the back of the legs, up the spine, up over the top of the head, down the central channel, to the perineum, back down the legs, into the earth. Fresh air in, what is not needed, what is not useful, what is stagnant, releasing. In, up, out, down. Again, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral Vedana. We do not need to be bullied by unpleasant Vedana. We do not need to chase pleasant feeling. We can just be attentive, observant, aware, noticing, curious, and relax. 
relaxing the shoulders, relaxing the jaw, relaxing the tension behind the eyes, relaxing the legs, relaxing the gripping in the abdomen and the buttocks, relaxing. Allowing the hands to move up and facing the ceiling, relaxing the shoulders, continuing to breathe through the bottom of the feet, up, breathing out, down. Relaxing, smiling, attentive. Present. Breathing in fresh, new, invigorating air. Breathing out old, stagnant, stale, what no longer serves us. The habits that do not serve us. Releasing with our breath into the earth, that the earth can compost it and turn it into fertile, rich, delicious, nutritious food for the plants, for the minerals, dropping the hands, turning one foot in and the other foot out, coming into warrior stance, very, very soft fists, extending the back leg, bending forward on the front leg, opening the chest. This is the warrior stance. It takes guts to do this practice. It takes guts to pause our habits to say no to what harms. It takes courage. It takes fortitude. And we can feel it in this posture, the strength to say no. I will not trash myself hurt, harm, betray, belittle, shame myself. I won't do it anymore. Pushing up through the heels, pointing both feet forward, turning through to the other side, warrior stance, opening the chest, extending the back leg, leaning into the front leg, Very soft fists. As courageous as it is to say no, it's equally courageous to say yes to life, to love, to gentleness, to kindness and compassion. It takes guts to be vulnerable and gentle, to allow love in, to be tender and caring and kind. Feeling our yes to life, feeling it in our body, pushing up through both feet, turning forwards, walking your feet in, relaxing your hands, Feeling our connection with the earth, Mother Earth, Blessed Mother 
earth. It brings forward food that feeds us, that carries the water that quenches our thirst, that holds us every step we have ever taken and will ever take, receives our tears and our urine and excrement and holds us every night when we sleep. Blessed Mother Earth. feeling our circle coming back where we sense our own energy field having been in relationship with the whole world. Not cut off and separate our energy field as part of the whole world. Feeling your breath expand your abdomen and let your abdomen contract with each out-breath. And with each breath, allow your hands to come closer. And closer. Till for the women, your right hand is over your abdomen and your left hand is on top. And for men, your left hand is over your abdomen and your right hand is on top. Just feeling your breath. And back to first posture, hands by the side with a little egg between one's armpits, feet, toes spread out, fingers relaxed. Noticing what's present. Noticing the body. Noticing the quality of aliveness. Noticing the quality of warmth, coolness, relaxation, tightness. How much of your body you feel inhabit
Now breathing in. Out. looking around at the blessings of this community, all here together for another day of practice in this spectacular retreat center, this glorious, sunny Easter Sunday, Passover, full moon day. Let's spend some time in meditation, in silence.
Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Did you sleep well? Yeah. Everyone's faces are starting to brighten up. Um, I'm going to see if I can be clever. I don't usually write um, Dharma talks or take notes for them. I usually speak extemporaneously. But this topic is a little on the juicy side. <laughs> so I thought I would, I would do it. So um, I've got notes for myself, and then I want to go through some charts and things. But um, before before I start anything. I want to talk and tell you a couple stories. So yesterday I spoke about the bell. And if if this bell had been used to wallop somebody and you'd seen it, it's possible you could come in this room and see this bell and go running right out the door. Yeah? Likewise, if you've got really bad hay fever it's quite possible you could look out this window and your eyes will start watering and your nose will start running and you will start sneezing. And I want to tell you another story. This is a Dataka tale. This is a story that, that came from the Buddha's time. There was a rabbit and the rabbit heard a sound. And the rabbit took a big fright and started running and then found a chicken and said, run, run for your life, run for your life, run for your life. The world is ending. Run for your life. So the rabbit and the chicken, they were running. And they, they found a goat. And they said, run for your life, run for life, run for your life. The world is ending. It's ending. Run for your life. So the goat heard the sound and heard them and saw them and started running and running and running. So the goat and the chicken, and the rabbit are running. And they come across a water buffalo. And they say, run for your life, run for your life, the world is ending, the world is ending, run for your life, run for your life, run for your life, run! So the water buffalo starts running. So the water buffalo, and the goat, and the chicken, and the rabbit, and they're all running. And they meet many other creatures and all of these creatures. They say the same thing. Run for your life. The world is ending. The world is ending. The world is ending. And they all run. And they slither and they fly and they hop and they squirm and they're all running. And they get to the lion. And they said, run for your life. And the lion says, stop. He said, run for your life! The world is ending! The world is ending! Run for your life! Run for your life! He says, stop! Why do you think the world is ending? And the elephant says, I don't know. The snake told me. 
Then he went to the snake, and the snake says, I don't know. The rooster told me, and the rooster says, I don't know. The mountain lion told me, and the mountain lion says, I don't know. The water buffalo told me, and the water buffalo says, I don't know. The goat told me. And the goat says, I don't know. The chicken told me. And the lion says to the chicken, why do you think the world is ending? And the chicken says, I don't know. The rabbit told me. And then he goes to the rabbit and says, okay, rabbit, why do you think, why do you think the world is ending? And the rabbit says, because I heard this big noise and it was really scary. It was really, really scary and I was so scared. And I was sure, I was really sure, I was completely sure that the world was ending. And the lion says, let's go look where you heard that big noise. We'll go together. So the lion and the elephant and the snake and the rooster and the goat and the chicken all went to where the rabbit heard the big noise. And they found there was a mango that was on the ground underneath the mango tree. The mango had fallen from the tree and made a big noise. And the rabbit took a fright. We'll tell these stories a few more times during the course of this process. If we understand what happens in any of these three stories, with the bell, with the grass, and the, with, the, with the rabbit, we understand dependent origination. When we understand dependent origination, we understand the Dhamma. The Buddha said, if you understand dependent origination whoever sees dependent origination sees the Dharma whoever sees the Dharma sees the Buddha we can actually get to the bottom of any of these stories and understand what's going on that is a huge blessing for ourselves because it gives us a real window into this black box that normally operates without us having any clarity at all about what's going on. Normally, we're running out the door, our body is going through all kinds of reactions, or we are either the rabbit saying the world is ending, or we're listening to somebody who says the world is ending. And what we need to do is to find the lion's wisdom mindfulness, and courage to say, stop. (laughs) Why do you think the world is ending? So it's my objective over this next process to see if I can unpack it a little bit, give us a little bit more skill about what goes on and how we get into that pickle where any could be any one of us We look out the grass and we start streaming. We're running out the door because we're completely terrified. We see this. Or we're in somewhere in that chain of all of... I mean, it seems completely ridiculous because we're way too wise to do something like that. (laughs) We're far too sophisticated 
And we do it every day, all day long, in our own different ways. Yeah. So let's see if we can untangle it and if we can have more understanding. Okay. So let's start where it is simpler. Let's start with what we've been doing the last few days. When we have our bodies and our minds that perceive things, we experience contact through our eyes, through our nose, through our ears, through what we feel in our body, and through thought. That's contact. And it's dependent on having a mind and a body. Contact doesn't arise without those things. When we have a body that has sensations, there's feeling. It comes together. You can't have a contact without a feeling. It's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. There are no more options. That's all the options you get with feeling. Which is one of the reasons why feeling is a really helpful thing to know how to practice with. Because it's really simple. There's only three things to pay attention to. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So when we have a pleasant feeling, what happens? We want it. We want to hold on to it. We want more of it. We have an unpleasant feeling. What happens? We don't want it. We want it to go away. We want to get rid of it. We want to kill it. Or we just don't want to know. Get me out of here. And when we have a neutral feeling, oftentimes what happens is is that we space out, we get distracted. We imagine something that's pleasant. Or again, we don't want to be there. So with any of these feelings, this next layer is what is called craving. And the craving is bound up with attachment And the attachment then brings forward the next response. Okay? So in the case of looking out the window and you're seeing the grass, your body will start streaming. In the case of seeing this, you're running out the door because you're freaked out. In the case of the rabbit, is running, screaming, the world's ending, the world's ending, the world's ending. It's ending. I'm sure of it. When we're bought into any of these beliefs so that our actions are committed and we have this, then we have the result. It feels uncomfortable for our bodies to be streaming. It feels uncomfortable to be running out the door. It feels really uncomfortable to be so panic-stricken that we are confident the world is ending. It's a terrifying experience to be in when you are really that frightened. So we can make fun at the rabbit. But when any of us are feeling that level of fear, it's not fun. It's really scary. 
And oftentimes this stuff happens and we don't notice it. So usually what happens is we see the bell and we're out the door. We see the grass and we're streaming. We hear the sound and we're panic-stricken. We don't see any of the things that happened in between. It's all kind of a mystery. So let's go back. So we started with the body and a mind, but we didn't just materialize here. We didn't just spontaneously arise. What gives rise to a body and a mind? Consciousness is what gives rise to a body and a mind. And what gives rise to consciousness or what imprints consciousness? Habits. So this consciousness that gives rise to a body and mind is not the luminous, radiant consciousness that's timeless and ever-present. It's the consciousness that arises dependent on sense contact. It's the specific consciousness that arises and ceases. And that consciousness is imprinted with habits. And those habits are supported by not seeing clearly. And ignorance or not seeing clearly comes about when we don't have a deep understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Not because we can't recite them, you know, this, 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 and this, but because we don't actually know how to practice with them in our body to watch the arising of dukkha, of suffering, to turn our attention to the causes of it, the wanting, the not wanting, the wanting to not be here, not show up. And so this whole pattern then perpetuates we're not following a path that brings the conditions together that allow us to see clearly. And so it snowballs and we get an accumulation of more suffering and more habits which prime our body and mind to perceive things in a particular way. If there was no ignorance in my system, if I looked out that window and I had hay fever, it wouldn't cause a response But because the memory that I've had of having hay fever is associated with what I see out there, then I look out there, it combines memory with past impressions that prime my sense doors to get agitated with that sight and to flood my system with histamines because it reminds me of the times in the past when I had a hay fever reaction that was really uncomfortable. So our senses, our body, our mind is primed to get freaked out. But it also goes the other way. 
It's not only about freakouts, it's also about really positive experiences. So think about somebody that you were in love with. Okay? Now, sometimes when you're in love with somebody, you don't even need to see many of their details, their features. You can see their shape. Or you can just see their countenance. Or you can just hear the sound of their voice. And the whole body floods with joy and delight. And you're smiling from ear to ear. And there's this delicious warm feeling that's exuding and suffusing and permeating because of the association of somebody that you're in love with. And they're either in the distance or you're talking to them or you're even thinking about them. They're not here. But just the memory causes this flood of (laughs) deep joy. Now, it might be that they show up and they're actually in a crabby mood. (laughs) You know? I mean, who knows what's happening? But what happens is, is that our body and our heart and our mind are primed to respond in a way according to a strong, habitual imprint. Which means that we are not seeing clearly what's actually happening right now. We're not being completely present with what's happening right now. We are living as if in the past. Because our bodies are based on the memories that we had that were conditioned by not being completely clear that caused an imprint which primed our senses to perceive things in a particular way. You with me? When we begin to see the linkings of all of these things, then we begin to have more choices. Okay, so now let me go back to my next thing. Where's my next thing? There's my next thing. Is anybody cold? Please, yes. Can we can we can we get the mic for you? Yes. You want the temperature? It's a little cool. Yeah. That needs to be turned on. There's there should be a red button there somewhere. No, there's a there. He, tur- he turned it off to protect the but the battery. 
No? There you go. Oh, okay. Thank you. So basically um, what I hear um, is un- a habit is um, what we're looking at right now is untangling the habit that we have. You know, I, 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 I think I'm getting it that um, any habit can be untangled to start kind of with freedom, I guess, to choose a new way of being or... That's right. So what I want to do is to look at some of the places where we've got choices. Yeah? So let's go back to... Let's go back to this. I look outside here. I see all the grass. And my eyes start streaming. My nose starts streaming. I start sneezing. And I feel anxious and tense. Okay? So we're looking here at the map. Can you see my arrow? Yeah, okay. So these three things, ignorance, habits, and consciousness, we don't see that. Those are the footsteps of the yeti. We don't see the yeti. We just see the imprints or the footsteps of what's there, okay? What we notice is our body. And we look outside, and what we see, on one hand I see green, but my association is of all the things that made me feel so uncomfortable. So the feeling is an unpleasant feeling, and that gives rise to get me out of here. This is not a safe place for me. I need to go someplace else. Okay? And so that feeling of get me out of here has me propelled into, can I, can I escape? Where can I go that's safe? How do I get out of here? I want to leave. And that, that then motivates me into action, which is the birth. And then the birth of running, of, of moving, of exiting, then has the signs of any time there is uh, a commitment to something that is born out of ignorance, there's going to be a residue of unsatisfactoriness with it. And with that residue comes the anxiety or the agitation or the complexity with action. Okay? So, let's see how this works. We have our body and mind. And let me make this go like this. I want a one of these. And we go from here. And usually what we notice is this. Okay? And let's make this red, and let's make this big. All right? What we notice is, the first thing that we notice is the suffering. Okay? And when we experience the suffering, we have choices. One choice is to go back into the experience of ignorance and say, ah, I am the victim of all of this stuff going on. I have no choice about what I do with it. Which then supports habits, okay? And that habits reinforces consciousness, and the consciousness then reinforces the body. And then the body goes back to contact of, oh my goodness, this is dangerous. And the feeling that comes is, I am scared, 
And then the craving is, I don't like this. I want to be out of here. And that's propelling us out the door. We're going, we're leaving, we're wanting to get out of here. It's dangerous and I'm going to be miserable. But let's look at this from another perspective. Let's say we get to suffering and stress and I'm streaming and I'm running and my body feels uncomfortable. There's a whole histamine reaction, a flood of histamine reaction. I feel it. I look out this window and I think, wait a minute. I just went to this course at Spirit Rock and they taught me that it might not be exactly the way I think it is and I might have some choices. So, instead of moving to ignorance, we move to faith. And let's change the arrow from red to green. Okay? Now, the faith is, or the confidence is, that I see that I have some choice about where I place my attention. That it isn't only about that that is going to dictate my reality. So I have a sense of confidence. Let's see what happens if I look out this window. And I shift my focus, okay? And as I'm looking out this window, my nervous system calms down. So I experience contentment. And from the contentment, I begin to feel relaxed and peaceful and happy. And that moves to here where I go to calmness. Okay? And as I'm feeling calm, then my mind is able to focus and I can see clearly. And as I see clearly, I begin to have more perspective about what has been happening. This wisdom then moves over and imprints into the body and mind so that I begin to have more choices about where I can focus so that I'm here And instead of running out the door, I can look that way and my whole system can settle. Now, depending on a few things will depend on what the overall reaction is. There may be some pollen that is causing a histamine reaction. And so there may be a limbic involvement that is aggravating the histamine reaction. If the limbic involvement is aggravating the histamine reaction, then I can stay right here where the air is exactly the same and turn my focus of attention out the window and I will feel better. Because part of the reason why I don't feel good is not because of the pollen but because of my brain. This is what dependent origination is talking about. It's also what neuroplasticity is talking about. 
Okay? So let's get rid of all of these arrows. And let's go back to the other story. This, by the way, I feel like a complete genius. This is the first time I've ever done this on my computer with anybody else. (laughs) I've never used Google Draw before. Oh my goodness. I've never projected it up there before. So just like, oh my goodness. Okay, so let's go to the other one. We see this, we have a total panic attack, and we run out the window, run out the door, okay? So we see this, and what happens? Our system floods. We feel this complete anxiety attack. We feel completely unsafe, and we run out the door. So back at ignorance, habits, and consciousness. Ignorance has created habits. Habits have impressed themselves into consciousness, and consciousness has primed our body and mind to perceive this as something that is dangerous, that is scary. Somebody who hasn't had that experience is going to have absolutely no reaction to seeing this. It's going to be completely neutral. So it's entirely dependent on having had something incredibly scary happen. The strength of the emotion is directly connected to the power of the imprint into the habit and into consciousness. For anybody who hasn't had a scary experience, they're going to look at this and say, so what? It's a bell striker. What's the big deal? So, back here. Ignorance has influenced habits. The habits have imprinted. There's my line. Have imprinted consciousness. Consciousness. Oh dear. I did, didn't it? Oh dear. <laughs> See what happens? Genius arises and genius ends. It's highly conditioned. (laughs) There it is. Are you seeing all of this? Okay. 
So, edit, undo, undo, undo. It's not doing it. Let's go back here, make that go back there. Okay, so let me get a, a, a curvy thing, and let's go here, and let's make it red. Okay? So, the this body has impacted... Oh, look, body and mind and consciousness have separate, have gone in the wrong directions. Back. Oh, now it's going crazy. <laughs> so, body and mind needs to be down here. So, you need to make sure you have... So let's put this one down here. That's moving. There we go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so great. after you draw, just make sure you click on this one so you can come back and move things around. Okay. Okay, so here we have it. We've got the ignorance is impacting our habits. Our habits are strong, and and it's impacting consciousness strong because there was a very big emotional impact. Let me get rid of that. Let me get rid of all of these million lines because the genius was offline when I was drawing. (laughs) Genius comes and genius goes. And then the body and mind then had all of these experiences. There was a very strong experience of contact. Well, actually, the contact is is just contact, but what was very strong was the experience of feeling. Okay? So here we have... Contact, seeing the bell, and having a strong impact... And then the feeling of very unpleasant gives rise to craving. The craving gives rise to thoughts about it's not safe to be in this space. And then the body moves out the door at a very quick speed. And what we're dealing with is craving being birth. And then the movement out, which is the whole body and mind, are filled up with the tension and the anxiety of feeling completely unsafe and activated. And we're running out the door. Okay, So here we are, we've gone from feeling to craving, from craving to being, from being to birth, aging and death, and we're at suffering. And we're agitated. It feels completely unsafe to be in this space. And we're convinced that something is not okay. But we go out the door and there's this gorgeous Buddha and we just take a look at the Buddha, and the Buddha is safe, it's, and it's peaceful. And so something in the Buddha catches our attention, and we just pause. So it's not our own volition that's pausing us. Something is catching our attention and pausing us. And we take a big, deep breath, and then we think, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What's going on? I feel uncomfortable, but what's happening? 
well, I feel uncomfortable because I have this memory of something that happened before that was really terrifying. So that, okay, so we go from suffering, and then from suffering we go here to having a moment of pause and then a moment of wisdom, of thinking. And this is no longer red, this is green. Okay? And the wisdom has us say, but just let's take a moment and pause. And so it gives us a pause. And then from pause, it has us reflect on what happened. And then it has us consider, okay, if I go back, oh dear, that's going to move that. If I go back and I remember what's going on, I remember I remember a thing that happened in the past that was really scary. And, and I can be with that thing in the past in a way that is, that is supportive. So right now I can look at the Buddha and I can calm myself and I can relax and I can recognize that it's a memory. It's not actually happening right now. It's a memory that I'm okay, there isn't anything, I can scan, I can look around, I can scan, I can see, there's nothing that I see that's scary. And so I can have this conversation, okay, Limby, you're agitated, but you can relax now, Limby, it's safe. You're looking at the Buddha, the Buddha's not going to do anything bad, it's safe. And then you think, okay, I get what was happening. There was a memory when I saw the bell that triggered all of these feelings and I was reacting to the experience of the memory. It's actually not in the bell. The scary thing is not in the striker. It's when all of those things came together. The memory, the feeling, and the sight. It's not in this. There's nothing in this that I need to be frightened about. So you take several deep breaths because it takes a few minutes for all of that flush of of adrenaline to wash through your system. You recognize that it takes some time. You take several deep breaths looking at the Buddha. You walk back in the room And it's a little scary, but you realize it's all right. It's the fear, the scary thing is not in this. It's not in this. So what I want to bring here in this chart is is that the reason why I had this thing highlighted is that the colored body and mind, feeling, craving, birth, and suffering and stress, these are the places where we can make choices. These are the places we can bring mindfulness. These are the places where we can have different ways of focusing our attention. Habits are very hard to recognize after the fact, but sometimes we can get at, at like the steps of the footsteps of the Yeti, we can see traces of them. Ignorance we cannot see directly, but we can see its imprint into the habits that we have. 
So when we were looking at the different habitual responses that we have to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, the more we get familiarized with the kinds of habits that we have in response to pleasant, in response to unpleasant, in response to neutral, then we can use the familiarity that we have to signal, oh, we're in a habit. And this is a choice point about whether we go through the whole cycle and end up in sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, or if we focus our attention on faith or confidence. So if you get it, that when you look out there, your eyes start streaming, and part of it, and maybe a large part of it, is your brain, rather than the pollen in the air, then all you need to do is look out this window. You don't actually need to leave the space. When there's a combination of brain and pollen, then that's where there's some discernment that's needed in order to get the brain to calm down so that we can actually have less sensitivity to the pollen. And that's what neuroplasticity is about. And so I'm going to give a little plug. I've got flyers on the table for a retreat that I'm doing, which is a five-day retreat at the Multiversity Retreat Center that's going to combine neuroplasticity, these same teachings, and laughter yoga which is a way of washing your system clear. It's like a way of resetting your body so that you've got completely different choices available to you. And it actually ends up being a fabulous way of, of working. Surprisingly enough, it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So, are there any questions about this? Let's put the thing on a mic so that everyone can hear you. Oh, well, it's, I'm taking some of the thoughts of my life and um, uh, some of the things that bring fright um, are have a higher percentage of chance of causing damage. Like if you were using a gun to ring the bell and you've had an experience with a, a bad... Uh, experience, you know, with a gun, uh, the percentage would be much higher that you, your fright would be um, understandable. In all of these situations, your fright is understandable. You are reacting to something that had an imprint in the past that was actually scary. Yeah. And the, it, I mean, first of all, it's unlikely that I'm going to lose it and wallop somebody on the head with this, you know. But if you'd seen somebody really get hurt with something like this, that it doesn't matter how safe I am. It looks like this is the scary thing. Yeah. So we have associations, and they feel really, really valid. But what we need to do is to untangle that the association is not in the object. It's the combination of the object the person who was using the object and the mind state they had when they were using the object. Please, yes. So, um, 
my granddaughter, um, she texted me that she was uh, scared of some noises um, outside my house. She lives in a little granny unit, and she's 13. And um, so I, I basically texted her back. I said, it's, you know, it's supported her in the fact that, you know, if there are noises, and sometimes I've heard noises, that I, this is what I said, you know, I text back was, um, I've called 911 to check. In a situation like that, when you've got a minor, where they don't have all of the discernment to be able to figure it out or to be able to protect themselves if there is something that is dangerous, it's absolutely appropriate to call 911. So that's where the wisdom faculty is needed, is to know when we're navigating something that potentially requires intervention, And when we can discern that it's an internal brain thing that is actually causing the problem. Let me let me close this for a moment. I want to tell another story and then I want to ask to do an exercise, okay? Um, I'm in this neuroplasticity community. It there's several different neuroplasticity programs, and the one that I'm in is called Dynamic Neural Retraining System, DNRS. And it was started by Annie Hopper. And Annie Hopper, I can't remember all of the things that were going on for her. She had multiple chemical sensitivity. She had light sensitivity. She had food allergies. And then she became allergic to electricity. And she had to move out of her house because the electricity was making her sick. And something in her said, it's got to be in my brain. You know, it's got to be in my brain. And so she figured out how to put together a bunch of different ways that you can refocus your attention so that your brain begins to calm down. When your brain gets jammed into a stress response, then what happens is is that the stress spreads to different areas. So... It's like if you had food sensitivities, then you become allergic to chemicals, and then you become allergic or highly sensitive to light, and then highly sensitive to sound, and then your body, I mean, it's just like, it goes one thing after another. And she began to see the spreading of this and realized that it had to be in her in her brain and figured out a way to help people re program their brains that would begin to let the limbic system calm down so that they wouldn't have this chronic limbic maladaptive stress response as one of the governing things that was driving them. And so there are lots of physical illnesses as well as psychological manifestations of a maladaptive limbic response. And when we learn how to shift that, our bodies can feel better. But it is a very advanced process to have a full histamine reaction from hay fever, to know it is your brain, 
and to feel confident that if you just turn and look that way, you're going to get some relief. That happens after you've been in this program several months or a year or two. It's not something that happens immediately. And so what is needed is the understanding that there is the ability to refocus your attention, and that ability has a direct impact on your body, and your symptoms can reduce. So I have said to my friends, neuroplasticity is applied dependent origination. Because we are looking at the specific things about the way our habits are imprinting in our body and deliberately refocusing our attention in order to maximize our health and well-being and to reduce the suffering that we're experiencing to give us more choices. Okay, so let's go back to the rabbit. The rabbit hears the sound and goes, <coughs> the world is ending, and tells the chicken, the world is ending, run, run, run. And they tell the goat, the world is ending, run, run, run. And they tell the water buffalo, the world is ending, run, run, run. And they tell the snake, run, run, run. And they tell the elephant, run, 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 the world is ending, the world is ending, run, 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 the world is ending, the world is ending, run, run, run. And they get to the lion, and the lion says, stop! Stop! Why are you running? And the elephant says, the snake told me the world was ending. And then he looks at the snake, he says, snake! Why are you running? The the water buffalo told me the world was ending. Let's go find the water buffalo. Water buffalo, why are you running? The goat told me the world is ending. Let's go find the rooster. Rooster says, the chicken told me the world is ending. Now let's go find the chicken. The chicken says, the rabbit told me the world was ending. And I believed him. I believed him. I trust trust the rabbit. I completely trust the rabbit. The rabbit said the world was ending. I, I trust him. So let's go find the rabbit. Rabbit, why... Are you saying the world is ending? Because I, because because I, I heard this sound. It was really scary. It was really, really, really scary. It was a really, really scary sound. Okay, well, let's go together and see where you heard that scary sound. So everybody goes to this tree where the rabbit heard the scary sound, and they find the mango. And all of a sudden, it all makes sense that the rabbit had a fright because it heard the mango plop. And without thinking, just fled. That 
started this whole cascade and everybody was impacted by the fear and the excitement of everyone else until they got to the lion who said, Stop! Stop! Okay, so you've had enough maps and words. Let's get up and let's do this differently. How many are in the room? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, fifteen people. Roma, you don't have to run away. You can stay. I mean, you don't. You can stay if you want. It's up to you. Let's see here. Okay. Does anybody need to use the toilet? Let's take a five-minute break. Stretch your knees, and let's come back. all the time. It's in the Santa Cruz Mountains.
constellations can I see hands up for people who have heard of family constellations okay so we've got some who've heard of that we're going to do family constellations with dependent origination so we need the the this the pile to move just yeah just if we can move the edges away Okay. Thank you. So while we're clearing the deck, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about family constellations. Family constellations, I don't know who invented it or started it, but it's this way of seeing how who we are is very much dependent on our relationship with our family. And if you take people and have them represent different members of the family, and you, the person, so let's say I'm doing my family. I did this, you know, where I had my grandma and my dad and me. And I took people, I chose people to be my, someone to be my grandma and someone to be my dad and someone to be my mom. And then I just put them in the space a way that I thought that would be the appropriate relationship for them. And, you know, I told them a little story about, you know, something that I'd experienced. And then they are listening in their body for what they feel. And what they feel was hugely informative for me in terms of understanding my family constellation. Because what they were experiencing in their own body even though they're not my family, just being in that position in relationship to each other, what they were feeling in their body was informative for me in terms of the dynamic that was going on. Okay? So what I want to do is to do a family constellation with dependent origination. And instead of me, I'll pick some of you, but I need volunteers. I need somebody to volunteer to be ignorance. Awesome. Jesse, you come here, please. And where do we put Jesse? Where do we put Jesse? Let's put Jesse. Let's put Jesse. Let's take you and put you here. Okay? And now I need somebody to be habits. Thank you. Let's put you. Uh, Jesse, can we have you turn? Uh, turn. Yeah, let's have you close. Let's have you facing Jesse. So you're not going to touch. You're just going to be close, okay? And I need somebody to be... Um, 
I'm going to put body and mind as one person. Awesome. Let's have, let's have the three of you be a triangle. Okay. Good. And I would like uh, somebody to be contact. Okay. Let's have you be, let's bring you here. And let's have you be right in front of there like that. And I want three feelings. I want pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and neutral feeling. I need three feelings. You'll be neutral, okay. (laughs) Paulina, you be neutral. And so neutral feeling, pleasant feeling, and I need an unpleasant feeling. Linda? And you three are around him, okay? And I need craving. Okay, so let's, you need to move in closer. And let's have craving be over here. And craving. And I need becoming or being or existence, please. Let's stick you, let's put you here. And I need... Uh, birth you'll be birth okay let's have you birth and then when you need aging you'll be aging and we need somebody to represent death suffering, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair you're up for that, awesome (laughs) well done let's put you let's put you let's put you here and I need wisdom. I'll be wisdom. Awesome, Michael. You'll be wisdom. And I need mindfulness. Okay. You'll be mindfulness. Okay. So let's tell our story again. The we have everybody kind of review So ignorance, put your hand up. And consciousness, put your hand up. I'm body mind. Your body mind, then your. No, I'm habits. Your habits. I don't think you did consciousness. Did I miss consciousness? Ignorance, fabric, habits, and consciousness. Oh, I, I put. Oh. Uh, ignorance, fabrication, and consciousness should be a trio. Who's body and mind? I thought you were body and mind. Yes. Okay. Well, it's it's not going to be perfect, but it's not. It will let you. Will let you be. Will let you, let you stay body and mind. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then contact, and then we've got feelings. Oh, well, actually, what we can do is we can borrow somebody because we've got three feelings. Can I have one of your feelings? I'll be unpleasant and something else. Okay. You. I. So I need a consciousness. Can I, Linda, can you be consciousness and your body and mind? So let's reverse you. Let's put you. Let's put you here in the three of you. So your consciousness, your body and mind, okay. your contact, and the two of you are feeling. One of you is pleasant. You're neutral, and you're pleasant and unpleasant feeling. We've got craving. You're craving. We've got clinging. How about becoming? We're becoming awesome. We've got birth. Awesome. We've got aging and death. 
Awesome. We've got sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Awesome. We've got wisdom, Michael, and we've got mindfulness. All right. Now, we have the story, the rabbit. The rabbit hears a sound and panics because the world is ending. We have ignorance, habits, and consciousness, the three of you. So what does it feel like? What body shape can you create or make that is the expression of being activated? So now you get to do theater. Uh, put your body in a shape or an expression that is going to, that is going to describe activation. Okay, so awesome, excellent. And so now ignorance has impressed itself as habits and habits has impressed itself in consciousness and the three of you have impacted body and mind. So what's happening with you when, you, when this is going on? Running. Not yet. Not yet. What, what happens to you? Just, just so yeah. feel your body. What happens when you there's what's going on in your body before you running? The first thing before you're running. Tightness. Okay, tightness. Excellent. And so contact. 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 Right. That's right. Contact. And then what kind of feelings are going on? Intense, unpleasant feeling. Intense, unpleasant feeling. Intense, unpleasant feeling. <laughs> then where's craving? Craving. And what's craving doing? Going off. Going off. Absolutely going off. And then craving then turns into becoming. Where's becoming? And what's becoming doing? You're running out the door because you're flipped out. Or you're running around the world saying, The world is ending. Actually, that's birth. Oh. The, birth. the birth is saying the world is ending. The world is ending. That's your role. Okay. The world is ending. The world is ending. The world is ending. So becoming, I'm back to And then aging and death. Aging and death. So in this situation, it's like the, the, the movement into this expression and going around and talking to the chicken and talking to the rooster and talking to the elephant. It's all of the manifestations of these thoughts. So how do you feel that in your body? Scary. Okay. And suffering. How do you experience all of this? What is the expression of suffering? Look at suffering. Look at the expression of suffering. <laughs> suffering looks really unhappy. Okay, then we have mindfulness. Where's mindfulness? Okay, so... Well, wisdom and mindfulness are working together. All right? So wisdom and mindfulness are working together, and that's the inhabiting the lion. And the lion hears all of this craziness and says... What is the w- wait? Relax. <laughs> 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 and what does mindfulness say? Look at the 
tree. <laughs> it's beautiful and focus on it. And when we look at the tree and our systems calm down, what does wisdom say? It's all right. And so then we begin to bring discernment as to what's happened to rabbit. Why are you so anxious? And then we begin to look at each of the animals until we get back to the rabbit and we hear the rabbit say, but I heard this sound. It was so scary. And then we all go over to where they heard the sound and we see the mango. We see with our eye the mango and we see that is what caused the sound. The world is not ending. Okay? So, what happens when we put ourselves in the physical experience of each of these positions? What is your sense? Do you have entanglement? What else? Connectedness. Yes. So basically, the neutral feeling is out there. When this is going on, there's no neutral feeling. Yeah, you're completely activated. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. There's no awareness of neutral. There's no awareness. This is a complete flight response. The system is in a limbic hijack and the system is flooded with cortisol. There's no cognitive thinking that's possible. We are just in an instinctual response and our, and our experience is of absolute terror and it feels like the world is ending. Yes, right. Okay. So, let's go back. Let's go back and see if we have some choices here. Let's see where our choices are. All right? So, let's have let's have um ignorance, habits and consciousness stand up again. And body, mind and form, you're standing up again. So, do we have choices? Is there a choice here with the three of you? What's the choice? Consciousness can shine. So that's awareness. Yeah. But that's consciousness that you're talking about. It has to do more with wisdom and mindfulness. This is the consciousness that sense consciousness. So it's the same word. Mm -hmm. It has a different meaning. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. The three of you, when you're here, it's really hard to have more choices at this point. So what you guys set up, we field down the way, but we have a really hard time to be able to look and see what's going on here. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's what's going on back here that's going to imprint you, but to be able to directly see that is too hard. You we can see the habits, though. You can see the habits. Okay, so where's the body? Oh wait, we can see we can see the we but we see the expression of habits as it's taking place in body. Yeah. Yeah. Body and mind. That's right. So body and mind. So here is a place where we can have choice and we can have awareness. You can notice what you're feeling. You can notice what's going on in your body. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, we can notice what's happening in your thinking. We can notice what's going on in your 
body, mm-hmm. which is also related to contact. Yeah, I think you need, you need contact for that. That's right? right. Okay, so we can raise your hand, you can raise your hand, and you can raise your hand as a choice point of where we can focus that can help interrupt the cycle. Okay? okay. Yeah? Oh, I yeah? Yes. She's um, body and mind. Yeah. And then feelings. The two feelings. We can also notice the two feelings. We can notice pleasant and unpleasant feeling. And it's that we can notice that. And when we notice that, that is a place where we can stop this whole spin into suffering. So you can raise your hands. Okay? Then craving. We can totally notice craving, that instinct to get me out of here. i got to get out of here. This is really scary. We can notice that. So you can raise your hand. Becoming. Becoming, that's harder, because becoming we are out the door. We are running, okay? Becoming and birth. Are you birth? You're it's like... The world is ending, the world is ending, the world is ending. When we're doing that, it's much harder to be reflective of it. We don't have much choice. But aging and death, once there is the birth, then it is inevitable that there is aging and death. We can watch it, but we can't make it not be there. It's like the we can watch the, 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 the snowball when it's over the mountain, but we just have to watch it. We can't make it come back on top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. Suffering. Where's suffering? Suffering is a big choice point. And the reason why suffering is such a big choice point is because suffering can feed back into ignorance or can be with mindfulness and wisdom. Okay? So when you are (laughs) suffering... So when you are suffering, you have a choice of whether you activate all of the habits that were born out of suffering or whether you turn your attention towards mindfulness and wisdom and you say, stop. There's another choice that's available to me here. And I want to take that choice. So suffering, so let's have everybody who had your hands raised up. Suffering, birth, becoming, neutral, pleasant and unpleasant, contact, and body-mind. Those are the places where we can, craving, craving, those are the places where we can focus our attention. Those are the places that we can notice where we can have more choice. Yes, please. Can you say something about what? Action, or I guess I don't quite understand what birth and death are here. Okay, so, yeah, it's the beginning and the ending of an action. Okay. Yeah, right. So in this in this in the story of the rabbit, yeah. it would be the um the first the the birth would be the the first time rabbit said the world is ending. Death would be when there's, you know, rabbit and rooster and goat and everybody and they're all running and that's actually suffering. They're, they're, the whole thing is activated, mm-hmm. okay? And then the whole thing activated is what suffering is. 
And then at that point, wisdom steps in and says, stop, stop, stop. And so we have to learn how to say, stop, stop, stop. Stop, stop, stop. Yes, please. Would you say then it's harder to stop? So, so the real places, I think when you had your hands roused up was not quite right. The places where I, let me put the screen up. The places that I had colored are the places where we have choices. So let me put the screen up and see if that makes sense to us again. Okay? Now it's got all the squiggly lines on it. Let me take the lines away. Okay, let me do a, 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 a thing here. How's that? Yeah? Okay, let me take the lines away. So, body and mind, feeling. So neutral is the thing that tends to um, generate the experience of get me out of here or spacing out or craving for pleasant feeling. So when you have neutral feeling, when you are aware of neutral feeling. So let's go back and talk about... No. no. Neutral feeling is not paralyzed. Neutral feeling is something that doesn't have a strong positive or negative to it. So the places that have the, what is that, peach color? Those are the places that are easier to focus on and to bring wisdom and mindfulness. Okay? The reason why it is so dynamic is, is that there are many different choices at each of these points. So when we get to body and mind when there is wisdom there, then it doesn't have to flow through this whole cycle. We can go from body and mind to contentment mm-hmm. or to calm or to joy. So we don't have to cycle through this whole thing. So body and mind is a choice point. We don't have choice whether we have contact or not. What is contact Contact is whether I see something. So that would be me looking and seeing the fields. I don't have choice about seeing. Is it only seeing or is it any sense? It's any sense contact. I'm just trying to make it simpler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm Thought as well. Thought as well. Yeah. So the cycle happens because ignorance, habits, and consciousness are a trio that are linking together. That's the cause, the three of them. And that imprints itself into our, into our body-mind. Ignorance, habits, and consciousness are like a tripod. I can't do it with my fingers. It's like this. So when we have less ignorance, we have less uh, unfortunate habits, which has a less of an imprint on our consciousness, which less imprints our body and mind. So the more we are able to see clearer, the more we're able to engage with all of this in a way which then results in something that's skillful. Now, it's not about only how many years you've done meditation practice. So I've been doing meditation practice for a long time, and I've had whatever insights I've had. 
I went through the Santa Rosa fires and the toxicity of the fires completely jammed my system in a stress response. Okay? It had nothing to do with the insight that I had. It was the system was overloaded and then it got jammed into a stress response. And so I have needed to learn neuroplasticity in order to get my system unjammed, which is the applied dependent origination. It's completely applied dependent origination. Okay? It's exactly this, only they don't use all of these words. To learn how to refocus the attention to get the stress out of my system. And it's been amazing. So for a while, if I was in an area that had been burned, like months after the fires went away, I would have all of this flare-up of symptoms, okay? And then I learned to train myself how to refocus my attention so that when I was driving home to be with my mom, the, the, the phone, it routed me through the burn area, okay? And I was doing my neuroplasticity program all the way I was driving. And I was watching the symptoms reduce as I was driving through the burn area, doing the neuroplasticity program. It works. It completely works. It absolutely works. But it takes some practice when you've been activated to learn how to train your mind so that you can reduce the physical sensations and symptoms. Yes, please. Does it help to consciously... Can we use the microphone so that... Does it help to consciously unravel each and every sort of step with the mind? Or if instead of, you know, you were applying the neuroplasticity program, which sounds like it's step-by-step almost unraveling how you got to be where you were. And suppose you had trained your body and your mind to sort of snap into a place of relaxation, um, centeredness, looking at the Buddha, being with the Buddha, whatever you want to call it in your own way of creating it. But you could just pop yourself into another state. Is that as powerful? And do they... Can you do it that way? That's absolutely part of neuroplasticity, is learning how to pause yourself when you're reactive Mm -hmm. and learning how to shift your attention into places of calm or ease or neutrality. So where neutrality shows up is not in the activation, but in the repair. So that when we catch ourselves being activated, when we catch ourselves thinking the world is going to end because we heard the mango drop, then what we need to do is either move our attention to neutral, to look at the chairs in the room and count them, or to count back from a hundred by sevens or threes, or to look at number of things that are burgundy, or neutral things, or to feel the cloth on our skin, to look at neutral as a way of diverting our attention from complete panic. And then what's better is to go from neutral to pleasant and to let our systems wash through 
with something which is deeply pleasant. So the thing that is most impactful in habits is when there is a strong emotion that is connected to it. So when we have a strong negative emotion, it's going to have a big impact on habits. And when there's a strong positive emotion, it's going to have a big impact on habits. So what is hugely helpful is to let yourself understand this is not personal. This is about the brain. This is about dependent origination. And to think about something that had a delicious and tremendously positive connection and to have it be as visceral and vivid and filled with as much sense contact as possible and to let your system flush with all of the feelings connected with the positive memory. Because your brain has no capacity to tell the difference between a memory and something that's happening in the present. So if you've been flooded with chemistry that has you anxious, upset, nervous, thinking that you're at risk and in danger, and you are discerning to recognize that there isn't actually anything that is there that is dangerous. And then you turn your attention initially to neutral and then to positive and let your system flood with what's positive. That's the best way to shift out of that and to recondition habits towards something that's positive. Yes, please. I just want to clarify my understanding on something. So on um, habits, I'm assuming that the term we're using here refers to habits of mind, like memory or like neural connections that happen very quickly that we aren't always aware of. We're not talking about habits in the colloquial sense, like things I do every day habitually, like actions or something. So the I I... I made it I was trying to make it easier for yeah. people because we're trying to put in like a 3 year study into 3 days and so I've I took liberties mm-hmm. the word habit is actually mental formations the pali word is sankara mm-hmm. and sankara means volitional impulses in our speech in our actions and in our thought and so volitional impulses is anything that we are doing with intention. It's anything that we are doing with intention. But a simple way of thinking about it is habit. It's the habits that we have. But if it were, I mean, like some action we were taking with intention, then isn't that something we could be aware of? Yes. But... I thought you were saying at this stage it's something we can't really change. So that's, that's where my confusion comes in a little bit. And good point. Because there's the ha- those habits we can be aware of and yeah. this imprinting of Sankara is not something that we can be visible. And so this word has the both the visible aspect to it and the invisible aspect to it. Yeah. We can know our intention 
We can know that. We can't necessarily know that habit, the imprint that it's causing. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, please. This afternoon, about um, an example of something realm, or because I have an incident, uh, I have something that happened to me when I was five, and it kind of shaped my life, um, and I compensated with that. So I don't know where that comes in. Where you know, I became a nurse and helped, you know, helped everybody. <laughs> Um, in a way that, you know, uh, helped me and helped others. So we have big imprints, and they mm-hmm. have had big impact. Mm-hmm. And many of us spend our whole lives navigating impact and imprint. Mm-hmm. And we have choices about how we relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I see that the, one of the choices that you have made is to bring a tremendous amount of goodness and gifts to the world as a result of the way you have used that to bring goodness into the world as a result. And the memory is still there. Yes. And so it's often the case that the memory is still there, but what can happen is is that we can change our way of relating to the memory and also our association with who we are as a result. So... I want to add one more thing, which is that yesterday we were doing the Who Am I inquiry. Yeah? And so there was two things. One, I asked you all to say thank you when your person was responding. I could have also asked you to say, not only this, not only this, not only this, not only this, that everything that we think we are, our name, our role, our relationships, our body, our beauty, our gifts, our talents, our weaknesses, it's not only that. It's not only that. It's not only that. It's everything. But I could have also invited you to say, not that, not that, not that, not that, not that, not that, not that. That who we are is bigger than anything that we can actually put name to. We're not that. We're not only that and we're not that. And so when we look at the fullness of who we are and what we take ourselves to be, when you think about all of the different responses that came up yesterday, which of the ones that surfaced yesterday are keeping you from experiencing choice in the way that you respond to habits now? And is it possible to bring compassion tenderness
to those aspects of yourself that are keeping you from having choice in the way that you are responding to habits now. So, enough for a morning, huh? So, this wheel has all of the correct languages on it. And I, I was reluctant about passing it out because I, to talk about why this is the same and different and all the rest of that, I, I didn't want to get into a big con- con- conversation, but it's very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> It's very pretty, and it has all the right words. So I will pass it out and, and just hope that there isn't a, a, a digression into confusion, that these words and those words are not the same, that you'll figure it out, and you'll have something very pretty. Thank you. Please, thank you. So lunch break now, wonderful session. If we can come back with chairs in something of an order, uh, if, we can, if we can have the chairs put back, yes. and uh, we'll be back in an hour at 1.30. Oh, I, I can ask Romy? Ask Tim. Okay. Had to turn the button. They don't want that. They don't want it off. No. No. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. okay. No, even the air conditioning. Really? Yeah. I don't know. They say don't touch. They say to me that do not turn off.
Okay. Let's get up and do some movement. Start with a little bit of um, just swaying back and forth. And those poor knees. And the other direction. Gentle tapping all over the head, the back of the head, neck, chest, abdomen, down the legs, the feet, up the legs, hands and arms. Gently waking up all the different parts of our body. And let's do some rounds of clapping. So just...
<laughs> Wonderful. Alrighty, let's see. What else needs to happen in these bodies? They're still a little bit tense, a little tight. What else can we do? If we jiggle them around for a little bit, just jiggle them around. We don't make our tummy upset because we just had lunch. We jiggle them around a little bit to let them open and loosen. And so taking a couple of very deep breaths in. Out. Out. Do some of the standing postures that we did this morning. First posture, the feet are grounded and the toes are spread out. Weight is even front and back, side to side. Our energetic anchors are deep into the earth. Sitting bones are tucked underneath. If we had a nice big bushy tail, we'd tuck it between our legs. Spine is elongated, neck is elongated. Chin is tucked in, shoulders are rolled back, fingers are relaxed, open. There's a little egg underneath your armpit, opening up your arms. And the tongue is at the roof of your mouth. And there's a smile, a sweet smile, opening up your nostrils, making it easier to breathe more air. Sweet smile is moving from your face. Swimming downstream to your heart. Breathing out your arms, your fingers. Your fingers start smiling. Moving down your torso. There's the sweetness of relaxation and ease in your torso. In your hips and in your pelvic floor, your legs. Toes, a sweet smile. So then we can bring in energy. Partly it's with imagination until we can directly feel connected to the energy of life and life force energy moving in. We use our imagination and intention, combining breath, awareness, and life force, letting it flow in from the bottom of our feet. up our legs, up our spine, up over the top of our head, down our central channel, back to our legs and back into the earth. So it circulates. What is new and fresh and alive comes in. 
is no longer useful, what is no longer needed, what is stagnant, releases. Breathing in, the movement is up. Out, the movement is down. Our body is an ally. It's the place where we practice. And all of us can support our body coming into ease and relaxation. Health into well-being. First posture to the second posture, moving the feet out till they're shoulders width apart, making sure the knees are pointed over the feet, allowing the sitting bones to tuck under, and bringing the arms up so that the fingers and the hands are pointing towards each other, the elbows are down, and there's this big, wide, open, round circle in front like you're hugging a tree. This is the second posture. This is more dynamic. You can feel more movement of energy, of chi, of life force. And it can take more intention to relax. Relax the brow, relax the eyes, relax the throat. Relax the shoulders, relax the abdominal muscles, the pelvic floor, the legs. Breathing in, air, life force and awareness moves from the earth up our legs our back, up over the top of our head, down our central channel, into our legs and back into the earth. And shifting the posture and moving the hands now to the fourth posture where the hands are up over the head, relaxing shoulders. Opening up to what's above us. Relaxing the neck and the shoulders and the back, relaxing. Breathing in, letting the air come in and up. Breathing out, letting it come down. 
relaxing the hands and letting them just feel our connection with the earth. Blessed Mother Earth, Sacred Mother Earth, has held us every single step we have ever taken and will ever take. Coming back to the first posture, our hands resting by our sides, and just gently rocking back and forth on the feet. And we will close with some slapping practice, slapping the inside of the leg and on the ankle, on the outside, and the inside of the knee, and on the outside, and the inside of the thigh, and the outside, and the hips. Back and the forearms, and the shoulders, and the other side. and the gentle on the bottom and gentle on the head back of the head the forehead and the jaw. And then let's close with a couple of Celtic weaves, bringing the chi into our hands. Donna Eden's Celtic weave. Letting the energy pour into the sides of the head and then crossing over. Letting earth energy and heaven energy mix. Cleansing inside and outside. Protecting. And again.
remembering this is a protective thing to do for any of us who've got sensitivity issues, feel overwhelmed being in the cities, touch the elbows. And just let this protective energy, like a waterfall, wash clear and cleanse externally, internally. It's cool, soothing, nourishing, beautiful. And looking around at everyone here in this space, just noticing who we are practicing with. And outside the windows, the tree people, the grass people, the flower people. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.
So today's a big day in terms of what we were trying to cover, you know, covering all this, the links and how they all relate to each other and the choices that we have. And I, um, I, I want to say a couple more things about that and then just move forward. Um, So what we can see in our map, if, we, if you take out your map, is that there's a, whole, there's a whole movement, there's a whole cycle that happens. And once we kind of get into this flow, it, it's not a small thing to get out of it. <laughs> Which might be um, stating the obvious. <laughs> um, but there's a couple of places where it is helpful to remember. I said once or twice, I'll say again, that one of the ways that the, the sankara, the, the volitional formations has a very strong imprint into this this coupling of ignorance, sankara, and consciousness is when there is a very strong emotional impact. Emotional imprint. So if we feel very happy or very upset, those two sides of the spectrum are going to have a very big impact on sankara, which I've got here as habits. So one of the things that we can do in order to shift our habits away from one direction into another direction is to set ourselves up to feel a lot of positive feeling. And one of the reasons why, for example, laughter yoga is so um, medicinal is for your the whole system is flooded with um, joy and all of the good chemistry, and it shifts your system out of whatever was going on. So, in my neuroplasticity community, the DNRS community, we have pop-up laughing groups between three and ten times a day. And because the community is international, they're all day and all night. And because we understand how this whole thing works, you know, there's been times when I have set up a pop-up laughing yoga group with 15 minutes notice and half a dozen people show up to laugh together. And when you laugh, your system is just completely cleansed of whatever else was there before and it just opens up the space for something new to happen. So anybody that's navigating chronic physical pain or anxiety or depression or a host of any number of illnesses, to be able to laugh like that, it floods your system with positive and it gives you the basis for turning away from everything that was going on that was unpleasant. So for example... If we go back to the story of, you know, having hay fever, 
in looking out here and everything starts to dribble and run and sneeze and and starts to feel congested if you did laughing yoga and you flooded your system with you're laughing to like you you're you're busting a gut then your whole experience of all of that changes and it makes it many more options available the other thing that we did yesterday when we were doing the who am i is we're beginning to get a sense of the places where we're identified you know what what grabs us what grabs our attention you know is it is it our roles is it our responsibilities is it our name is it our the things that we have is it the things that we want to have is it the legacies that we want to leave is it our relationships what is it what is it that kind of grabs us and has us fixated around who and what we think we are when we move out of identification when we let go when we relinquish identification that also sets up us up for being very neuroplastic in the neuroplasticity language and also having many more options in the uh, dependent origination language. So whatever supports us relinquishing, letting go, having perspective on our identities then gives us more choices about where we focus our attention. So I just want to mention again that retreat that I'm doing and part of the reason why is because what I'll be doing on that retreat is I'll be doing pure awareness meditations where we drop into just relaxing into the nature of awareness itself and using that meditation combined with laughing yoga in order to switch our habit patterns and help us give us choices for reshaping where our attention goes. And the combination of these teachings, neuroplasticity, pure awareness meditation, and laughing yoga, I've personally found to be tremendously effective. So I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity to share it. But for all of us in our daily life, then what this means then is, is that where we focus our attention is going to have a big impact And in this other sheet that I gave you, there's the red, which is the flood, and the green, which is the raft. And here it says the Noble Eightfold Path. So the other day when I was speaking about the Four Noble Truths, the first truth is that there is stress, there is dukkha. We feel it. We feel it in our bodies. We feel it because our bodies ache. My knees hurt. Every single day my knees have hurt. You know, and we experience it when we get stuff that we don't want. You know, when we have allergies, or when we have anxiety, or when we have sniffly noses, or when we're hearing something we don't want to hear, or when we're navigating something with our family that is difficult. You know, wanting to protect our children or our grandchildren in this world that is—it's not so easy to protect them. It's also true we feel sorrow or suffering or stress when something that we love is suddenly less or gone. And so in the last two days, I've heard of the passing of two friends, you know. One is an elder, 101 years old, and amazing, amazing, amazing human being. 
And my mom and I were going to go visit her on Thursday. We had plans, you know. And it's like, you know, this is what happens. And then another is a sister of a friend of mine in Colorado Springs. So when you, when you lose somebody, there's, there's grief, you know. There's natural grief. So losing somebody gives us a place where we can know this dukkha. But the dukkha isn't only with having a body, isn't only with having things that we love go away and having what we don't want. It's also the dukkha of the impingement of just senses on consciousness. It's the reality of the effort that it is to stay alive, you know. And so this first truth that there is dukkha is then supported by the second truth. There's a cause of dukkha. And the Buddha spoke about the three different kinds of craving. So I was speaking about wanting, not wanting, and and uh, not wanting to show up. There's another way of talking about it. It's also the craving for pleasure, the craving for being, and the craving for non-being. So the craving for pleasure is when we're following the coffee or the tea or the donuts, or today we had cake, you know, or at least the people up there had cake. <laughs> and normally I don't have cake, you know. It's kind of fun to have cake. But the craving for being is also the experience of, you know, I am somebody, I'm somebody and I'm important. And when I was living in the monastery, one of the ways that, I mean, there's many different ways that it would show up, but one of the ways that it would show up that would be kind of amusing is that in a monastery, everybody who was there had a had a chore that they had to do. And one woman was the guest, and her chore was cleaning the toilets. And so she was. She came to us saying that she was she was mortified to discover that she had become the toilet cleaner. And she got terribly upset if people would use the toilet and and they would leave it differently than the way she thought it should be left. And she became possessive and territorial about the toilet, which was her job to clean. So we can do this. You know, we can have an identity and an ego about anything. And... And then it was really important to her that people listened to her opinion about how to use the toilet and how to leave it when they were finished. But the fun thing was is that she was cognizant of this, so she was aware of it, so she could watch this whole thing play out and laugh, as well as like be mortified at the same time. So there's the desire for pleasure, there's the desire for being... And then there's the desire not to be. And so that's that experience of like, I just don't want to know. Like, I don't want to show up. I don't want to know. Just leave me alone. And so these three cravings are what the Buddha described as the cause of this stress that is created from the way that we're relating to things. And what he described was that the solution is not fixing the world, not cutting all the grass down, 
not eliminating these things if they have in a memory that's associated with them that's painful. What is important is to touch those three cravings, to touch them, to know them, to watch them, and to allow them to unravel. So the desire for pleasure, the desire for being, the desire not to be, we do not have to go to war with them. We need to touch them and say, I see you, I know you. But in order to do that, we can't do that in a vacuum. We need support. And so the Buddha described the fourth noble truth as the eightfold noble path, which is in this wheel here, described. That the eightfold noble path, I'm pointing to this picture, nobody can see what I'm saying, this one, the green one, and then on the outside it says the raft, the noble eightfold path. Okay, And so this isn't actually the Noble Eightfold Path. This is the links of dependent origination. But what supports us to be able to have this cycle move towards freedom rather than towards suffering is when we engage in the Noble Eightfold Path. And the Noble Eightfold Path is comprised of a section related to integrity, a section that's connected to concentration and a section that's connected towards wisdom. The integrity is relating with precepts around harmlessness, around honesty, around appropriate relationship with with our sexuality and around the senses and the things that we take in the world, around our speech, around how we engage in in substances that confuse or cloud the mind and how we relate to the things that can be places where we lose mindfulness, like Facebook or Twitter or any other forms of social media where we just disappear and hours go by and we just like, we're not tracking what's going on. So integrity, living with integrity is a support Having the ability to settle the mind is a support. So you can see that when you're agitated and restless and and you're moving around a lot, it's just very hard to be with what's going on. We don't see very clearly. And so the settling of our mind, the, the bringing calm and allowing ourselves to focus supports us being able to see. And that being able to see then supports the wisdom faculties to know what's happening. So it takes wisdom to understand this cycle so that when we get into this pattern of the world is ending, the world is ending. And each of us have had times when we've been in a paddock and we think the world is ending. Then something comes and says, stop. Stop. Calm down. You did that beautifully. Calm down. Now, when we're calmer, we have more faculties of discernment, we can make choices that make better sense. When our limbic system is hijacked, we have very little discernment that's available to us. All we have is that 
we feel absolutely terrified. And we're scared for ourselves and we're scared for everyone in the world. And what we say and what we do often is not very skillful because we don't have skillfulness as an option. So when we have wisdom and wisdom says stop, stop, calm down, let's look and see where, where, where is the danger coming from? And then we had to go back through all of the animals because they had just heard it from the other one. They just heard it from the other one. They just heard it from the other one. It was, you know, it just, it was telephone until they got back to the rabbit and then the rabbit heard a noise and together they went to go look where the rabbit heard the noise and under the mango tree they saw a mango that had fallen and so then with discernment we can trace back we can pull apart the pieces it's not an amalgamation it's not a conglomerate we can see the individual things that are present and then decide, okay, is a mango life-threatening? Most of the time, it's not. And so then we can say, okay, that was just a limbic hijack. We heard a noise, the system was primed, and we are off and running. And in our contemporary world, there are plenty of opportunities for our system to be primed for real fear. There's some really scary things that are happening that are not a joke. So it takes a lot of discernment to figure out what's really something that we need to be worried about right now and what is not. But our systems are agitated. Yes, please, Linda. It's okay. Just said made me think There is a time when our system ought to be agitated because then it could provide safety. However, I'm wondering, is there a way for us to have awareness and bypass any of the agitation and go right directly to wisdom and useful action? It's not a requirement. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's not a small it's not a small thing to train ourselves with practice to to n- not go there yeah and and it, it a little bit depends on how much insight a person has and also it depends on the amount of stress that their system is under and i don't have a formula for the way those two things operate because I have experienced both I've experienced intense stress where my system relaxed and I've experienced intense stress where my system contracted I've experienced both and I think 
what happens is is that when a system is under accumulated stress, then the tendency for it to contract is better than or easier than when there's like a one-off stress and your system is at a baseline of well wellness wellness yeah yeah so and so that's a reality that each of us have to live with is where we are in terms of how much wellness and how much stress and in terms of how easy our systems go into these reactivities and how much we need to practice in order to help us calm or to help us re-remember what joy feels like. Because when the system gets locked into a stress response, it does not remember how to feel joy. It's not available. And so we have to re-remember, relearn those kinds of feelings. Yeah. You have a question? Can you pass... Yes. How does laughter, like Norman Cousins, I mean, he had cancer, I think, and he went, you know, watched the Marx Brothers or whatever he did and laughed and laughed and his cancer went away. I mean, his whole chemistry changed. That's right. That's exactly right. And so there's a number of my colleagues in the DNRS community that are laughing themselves into wellness. And we don't talk about our illnesses while we're, it, while we're in the program. But when people are well, then they talk about their illnesses. And some of them have a long, 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 long list of illnesses that they've been dealing with. But when you tip the chemistry, when you tip the brain, when you tip the cycle towards well-being, then there's all kinds of things that follow with it. And we can recover from stuff that ordinarily is not easy to recover from. Yes, please. Um, I have a question on laughter, too. I didn't see your hand. Where should I go? Let's let's go back to him, because I didn't see his hand. Um, This may not be on point right now, but would be helpful if you'd weave it in a little as you go. On Friday, I mentioned um, uh, residual reminders of stressor events. So, example, the fires, and then you have to deal with the insurance and the finances and the everything over time. And we agreed we were talking about the regulation. You regulate the input. Um, what we've been talking about today, or you've been talking about today, seems like polar opposites and stimuli you turn toward away from the stressful and toward turn towards the positive and then regroup in the system um, but sometimes there are stressors where they become weaved together two examples to follow off the uh, let's say one uh, has a child that Um, has an illness that after struggling with it for a long time, it's become apparent that that it's not fully recoverable. And 
the reminder is always there. So one might turn towards the joy of the child, but then in, as a positive stimuli, but now the child reminds you of the loss and the fear. Or a second of two examples um, of these polar opposites of the negative, uh, challenging, not negative, the challenging stimuli, triggering stimuli versus positive sti- stimuli. One might have accumulated financial stuff from the fires and the whatever, and one's career might be entrepreneurship and the things that most excite him that he would turn towards or she would turn towards, like the new sales campaign. This is the love of what I do. Now I'm speaking personally. Um, But they're still managing all the residual finances of the fire and now the sales leads and what do I do with the sales leads instead of a positive joy it used to be like ice cream it's like oh there's fear in that too the what ifs so I'll make it personally in some of these examples I'm experiencing these situations where the stimuli are not polar opposites they're just blended together so brilliant question and not an easy answer. And I'm with you all the way because I've been navigating the same thing. So I think part of it has to do with the level to which we... Um, uh, I, was just speaking, I was just speaking to somebody about, and I brought up the example of accumulated stresses and that what was necessary for her was to keep herself on a millimeter and a half rope, to not let herself get too far away from what was happening in the immediate present. Because if she did, then her mind was moving out into places where it was activating and agitating for her. Okay? So in a situation like this where it's all... um, Jumbled together. Yeah, then what's necessary, What first of all, what's necessary is to realize of absolute utmost importance that your own health and well-being is like penultimate necessary to protect and safeguard. That has to be at like a really, 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 really high priority. And so... And so then what is needed is support to figure out what your training zone is. How much do you, do you spend time with the new, uh, I don't remember what you called them, but the, the, the new leads? And how much do you allow yourself, or what do you need to do in order to relax around the finances so that the new leads become a source of joy rather than a source of anxiety? In terms of dealing with a, a child that's got a, a, a chronic illness or a possible, uh, like a non-recoverable illness, there is going to be an enormous amount of grief to and loss and and uh, to to navigate. And what one needs to pace is when an individual is in their own recovery how much deep emotional work they have the capacity for. Because on one hand, when we do that work, it releases bound up energy that gives us energy. But on another hand, the process of doing that work can deregulate us so that it actually makes us feel 
initially the impact of more stress before it actually releases. When we feel the weight of our sorrow, it takes a while before it cleanses through our system and releases. And so in a situation like that, part of the reason why I really love this community is is that there's a lot of support systems that are built into it. So people are not having to figure all this stuff out on their own. There's coaches. Now, the coaches are not meditation teachers and they're not therapists. But what they do understand is the is the edges that are helpful to protect the limbic repair. And to be able to speak to somebody about that is really good because with this kind of stuff, we can't always figure it out just with the theory. We need to have experience of how to work with it. Agnes, yeah. I wanted to ask about laughter, and that is, it seems to me, there are two kinds of laughter. One is fake laughter, and one is genuine laughter. And I I don't know. I mean, does fake laughter do any good? <laughs> so, again, our our bodies and our brains cannot differentiate between fake laughter and authentic laughter. It, it can't tell the difference. And so, and so we can start with laughter that is volitional, that is intentional, and it, it's like oil. It lubricates the laughing muscles, the laughing whatever it is, so that it begins to open up and laughter becomes a little bit more accessible, more available. So then it does become spontaneous. Yeah. So, you know, there's the 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 thought fake it till you make it. Mhm. Yeah. Well, the same kind of goes with laughing is that we can bring volitional laughter, intentional laughter until what's happening is genuine and authentic. And so, we have we don't watch Marx Brothers movies. We do these little exercises that are ridiculous. So, we've we've made like hundreds of little exercises to laugh about nothing. <laughs> we get really good about laughing at nothing. And and we spend time laughing at nothing with each other and then looking at each other and listening to each other. It is it's conta- laughter is contagious. And so then when you're with other people laughing it, it helps it helps a lot. It just helps a lot. Okay, thank you. Well, you know, I had read that about smiling. Smiling can change your whole attitude. And um, I find that's really true. So this is interesting. I'll try that too. Thank you. Yeah, it's fabulous. It's just, it's fabulous. I love it. I just love it. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking there's a, a couple of hmm, distinctions. Um between turning towards and turning away and turning towards what's internal versus turning towards what's something that's external. Um, and that my sense is that, or my understanding, that we're always turning towards our internal experience, whether it's positive or it's negative. If we're turning towards our internal experience and, and we're overwhelmed by it, 
by some aspect of it, that we can turn towards a, um, a neutral or a positive internal experience to kind of, you know, this idea of pendulating, of going back and forth, but that we're not turning away from what's, we're, what's causing us suffering. That, when, that if we're turning away from it in a way that is trying to get rid of it or to shut it out, that that is a source of suffering. So this is where the nuances of meditation instruction and neuroplasticity have uh, different languaging. There's nothing that you said that I disagree with. And when a person's limbic system is not jammed up, what you just described is accurate. When a nervous system, a person's limbic system is jammed up, they don't have the discernment to be able to navigate all that. The whole thing feels like on fire. And so when the whole thing feels on fire, then you're looking for something that is cool. And it isn't often initially internal. And so one uses the turning towards something that's cool as an external object until the fire that one feels inside calms down enough that you have the discernment to then figure out where it is neutral inside. So it's not in order to get rid of the fire. We're not doing it to get rid of the fire. We're just, it's like if I grab hold of something and it's on flames, I grab hold of something that's cool to soothe it. I'm not trying to get rid of that fire. I'm just trying to have something else that I can pay attention to because my everything is burning. Yeah, I think that's the important distinction that it, if it's, because the same act can be shutting out or the same act can be, you can, you can engage in, say, visual orienting where you're looking, uh, if you're overwhelmed inside, you're starting to associate, you're flooded. You can, you know, look at the number of blue things you can see or something like that, which is actually not external. It's kind of external in a way, but it's also, you know, turning towards visual images that are in your own brain. So in some ways, it's not external. But um, that if you can do that in a way to try and get rid of something, or you can do that as another way to be with your experience. That's right. And so you see, with all of these things, it isn't the thing, it's the relationship with it. That's the true with meditation. We can have the most brilliant meditation instructions and use it in order to get rid of our experience you know or we can have like just you know a walk in nature and that is a profound being with experience so it isn't it isn't the thing it's the way we are with it and that's true across the board yeah and so then it it depends on our developing the skill and the discernment to be able to figure out when are we with something that compounds the suffering and when are we with something that actually gives us more space and more choice and more ease and more joy and more more all of the things that are okay to have. It's a, it's a tricky thing and it's a fine line when you practice with it. You know, am I doing this as a way of being with it or am I doing this as a way to get rid of it? And it's, it's really good to pay attention to that mm. part, I find. Good. Any other questions?
Okay, let's take a break and come back in here in... Fifteen minutes, three fifteen. Okay. And uh, yeah, let's take a break. Good.
Dansful. D-A-N-R-S. But there's a lot on the website uh, online around neuroplasticity and different stuff that's available. So what I'd like to do is to have you uh, in uh, groups of three. And um, we'll see how the numbers work out. We might need a couple of groups of four, but let's try groups of three. And once you form yourself into groups of three, I'll give you more instructions. Um, let's have let's have let's have two groups of four. I think that'll be better. M- my only encouragement is that you're all on the same level. It just makes it makes it easier to to um, see each other in the eye. Yeah. So um what I'd like what I'd like you to talk about is your your strengths and your resources. Your your strengths and your resources. And so whoever is speaking you have the floor. You talk as a monologue about your strengths and your resources and everyone else is listening. And when 
And when they finish, then the ones who are listening have a few minutes to either ask questions or to share impact. To share impact is when you said this, I felt this. Or when you said this, I noticed that your face just got really lit up and I felt my whole back quivering with joy. Or whatever it was that you felt. Okay? And... Um, trying to do math and I can't do math so I'm trying to figure out the timings we're going to have different timings for the threes and for the four groups and what I want to do is I want to stop at um, five minutes to four so we've got a little bit over a half an hour For the three of, so but there's for everybody, and then you're going to have a few minutes each. So what I probably let's say five, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty. Uh, yeah, the threes have I think uh, the threes have have uh, four four minutes, five minutes each, and then three minutes after for each person to have share impact. Let me just see if I I can't figure it out. I want us to be back into the big circle at five minutes too and that's going to include everybody sharing and a few minutes of feedback for each 35 minutes No, it's not 12 each, because I want to have a few minutes of everyone to have impact. So if there's eight minutes each and then, f- and then four minutes of impact, so you have eight minutes to talk about your strengths and your resources for the threes, and what's the number for the fours? So it's 35 minutes total, so nine times four is Great, perfect. So can the fours, can you time yourselves? Can somebody in the fours get out a phone and time yourselves? Six and three? Speak for eight minutes. I will time the threes. Yeah, I will time the threes, and the fours have to time themselves. Yes, you can be silent if you want to be. If you can't think of any strengths, if you can't think of any resources, you can be silent. And and sharing impact, yeah. So I will time the threes, and the fours have to time themselves. So in the three group, in the three group, figure out who goes first, second, and third. So figure out which order you go in. Who's speaking first? Yes, please. So, so you're. Okay, so there was a question about what are resources. So resources are community. Um, they can be different communities. Resources are meditation. Resources are tools. Yeah. Good. Okay. Any other questions? So we're down from eight minutes to seven minutes.
That was good. Well done. <laughs> okay.
No, no, no. That that's 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 the four group. That's the four group has the bell. Yeah, four group. I you'll hear this bell, the small one for the three group. You've got another minute and a half for the first speaker. So three group winding up, you've got 30 seconds left. No, so you ask questions now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ask questions and share impact.
So 30 seconds left on the question impact of the group three. So the groups that have three in them, you're shifting to the next speaker.
So please come back into a circle. Thank you. Is that insightful? Was that... Uh, tell me, what was insightful about hearing, hearing yourself say those things and listening to each other? Back? Hmm. It was um, very eye-opening to list my resources. Mm. <laughs> Because I, there are times when I think I don't have any, hmm. and then to actually, I, I wrote them down, and realized I just need to turn to them more often. Hmm. What was it like for you to have other people listen to you as you actually were saying them? Um, it was. I think it was reaffirming because they were sort of uh, 
Um, it was reaffirming to realize that, um, you know, to see them reacting to what I was saying. And at the end, Agnes made a comment, you have a whole lot of them. And again, I thought, oh, and yet when I go into my trance, I feel like I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So just very eye-opening and reaffirming that I do have tools just need to catch myself in time to turn to them. So part of it is that when we are in a trance, the part of our brain which has the ability to discern and remember is not online. Mm. So even if you were the most resourced person in the entire world, the reality of being in a trance is is that you don't have access to what's there. And that's the reality of a trance. Which means that for any of us, it is in our best interest to do anything we can to keep ourselves from going into a trance. Because once we're there, who knows when we remember what we can know, what we remember, you know? It sort of has its own chemistry. So part of neuroplasticity, part of these teachings, part of setting up systems is to is to front load it so that when we've got support systems that are in place that we can reach out to when we're feeling in a trance they can help us reorient The insight that I had looking back right now on that experience is that as I am speaking my strengths, that is the job that you've asked us to do, as I'm saying things, I don't really believe them. And I have been doing a lot of exercises to bring up strengths because I see that this is something that's hindering my enjoyment of life. So I do have strengths, but I'm just acknowledging that the critical self that is kind of heavy here all the time is um, weighs me down. So that's a habit that, you know, distrusting, disbelieving, you know, heavy blanket, like sour grapes, like nothing that's good and joyful could possibly have anything to do with me voice, that voice, is a habit. And what we need to start learning is to recognize it as a habit rather than as a truth. And so as you get, like, somatic signatures, like body sensations of when that starts to creep in, then you'll have like a heads up. And maybe you can even call it a funny name, you know? Give it a personality and let it have a hat, you know, or whatever. That you can begin to recognize that all of these things, that this is, this is about to happen or it's happening now. And then it feels less about you and more about... Well, when these ingredients are present, this is the result. Yeah. (coughs) 
Um, I noticed that um, before we started that I really didn't want to, um, and that there's that it's difficult because there's uh, I have so much conditioning to not talk about your strengths, to not um, you know not say anything that might make people think that you think that you're all that, you know, that you're something special or something better. Um, and that uh, is so close, even though it's it's not, but so close to, you know, talking about your strengths is so close to that, that it was hard to really stay deeply grounded while I was doing it because um, it's such an uncomfortable thing to do. It's it's. it's it's almost culturally taboo. Yeah. And so what we also need to recognize in our practice that sometimes our practice directs us into what's culturally taboo. We we are we are moving against the stream of what is culturally acceptable. And I I remember in fact I was gonna introduce it this way and then I thought not, but when I lived at a Baigiri, I was a I was a nun and one of the laywomen who was there um, I, she came to talk to me a number of times and I gave her a particular meditation to contemplate. And the, the meditation, before I tell you what it was, you know, I, I, I encouraged her and she looked at me with this face like the way you would look at somebody if somebody had just asked you to clean out the toilet, the, you know, the, the, the not the flush toilet, but the, the outhouse toilet without any gloves, you know, it's just like this face of unbelievable disgust, okay? That was her expression. And what I'd asked her was to contemplate her goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And so it lands into this place of like, you've got to be friggin' kidding me, you know? And that's what we're up against, this resistance that's just so deep. And yet, whatever it takes to move against that, to to not believe that voice, it's like we need to contemplate our own goodness. We need to remember our strengths. And it's important to be witnessed in that. And so hats off to you for the courage of not letting the resistance win the show and to stay with it. Yeah. You know, again, the habit, the habit is that we trash ourselves. You know? That's the habit. That's like wallpaper and it's so familiar we don't even recognize it. We don't even see it. It's just like normal. And we have to wake up to that. And stop doing that. Stop believing that as like gospel. Anyone else? One more here. Just the way I am. Is that true? That is true. Okay. Thank you.
And there's sometimes a little room for improvement. Williamson, that it's it's because something like it's not, um, yeah, it's not the dark places that scare us. It's the it's our brightness. It's our it's our brilliance. I wish I I was going to look it up. I I I have that on my wall in my office because I I think that that is so true. That that is true. And that's wonderful. With that idea that along with it that. Something that the world is would not be complete without you. That that the world needs you to to share your your gifts. Some there's something like that that she says at the end of it. I don't remember what it is, but so I'd like to um, close with some chanting, and I want to do instructional chanting, which is a combination. Uh, on page 4 and 5 and 6, and then I want to do the Mangala Sutta. And this salutation to the Triple Gem is part of the morning chanting that we did in the monastery every day. And it's, a, it's an amalgamation of liturgical chanting and instructional chanting, where they're combining praises to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and also some of the things that were actually in the suttas. And it was often the case that there was different kinds of chanting. And so rather than having all of this come through specific teachings, sometimes it would just come through the chanting. Yeah. So we'll start with the salutation to the triple gem, and then we'll do the Mangala Sutta. And the Mangala Sutta really is kind of like instructions on how to bring this into the world. And I'll, I'll tell you the page when we get there. The Mangala Sutta is the highest blessings. It's on page 9. So we start on page 4, and then we'll go to finish that and go to page 9. So this is the in the middle. It usually starts with some different introduction, but we'll just jump in. Oh, it doesn't have the, doesn't have the, the widgets. You'll, you'll, you'll be okay. We'll just bumble along. It'll be fine. The Buddha... Absolutely pure, with ocean-like compassion, possessing the clear side of wisdom, destroyer of worldly self-corruption, devotedly indeed, the Buddha I revere, the teaching of the Lord like a lamp, Illuminating the path and its fruit, the deathless, that which is beyond the conditioned world, devotedly indeed, that Dhamma I revere, the Sangha, the most fertile ground for cultivation, those who have realized peace, awakened after the accomplished one, noble and wise, all longing abandoned, devotedly indeed, that Sangha I revere, this salutation should be made, 
do that which is worthy through the power of such good action may all obstacles disappear one who knows things as they are has come into this world and he is an arahant a perfectly awakened being purifying the way leading out of delusion, calming and directing to perfect peace and leading to enlightenment. This way he has made known. Having heard the teachings, we know this. Birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, and death is dukkha, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are dukkha, association with the disliked is dukkha, separation from the liked is dukkha, not attaining one's wishes is dukkha, in brief, the five focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha. These are as follows. Identification with the body. Identification with feeling. Identification with perception. Identification with mental formations. Identification with consciousness. For the complete understanding of this, the Blessed One in his lifetime frequently instructed his disciples in just this way. In addition, he further instructed, the body is impermanent, feeling is impermanent, perception is impermanent, Mental formations are impermanent. Consciousness is impermanent. The body is not self. Feeling is not self. Perception is not self. Mental formations are not self. Consciousness is not self. All conditions are impermanent. There is no self in the created or the uncreated. All of us are bound by birth, aging, and death, by sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, bound by dukkha and obstructed by dukkha. Let us all aspire to complete freedom from suffering. The Blessed One, who long ago attained Parinibbana, is our refuge. So too is the Dhamma and the Sangha. Attentively we follow the pathway of that Blessed One with all of our mindfulness and strength. May then the cultivation of this practice lead us to the end of every kind of suffering. So that's a summary of the teachings of everything that we've been talking about. And then the highest blessings is a is um is instructions on how to take this into the world. It's on page nine.
Thus have I heard that the Blessed One was staying at Sawati, residing at the Dritas Grove in Anattapindika's Park. Then in the dark of the night, a radiant deva illuminated all Jeta's grove. She bowed down low before the Blessed One. Then standing to one side, she said, Devas are concerned for happiness and ever long for peace. The same is true for humankind. What then are the highest blessings? Avoiding those of foolish ways, associating with the wise, and honoring those worthy of honor. These are the highest blessings. Living in places of suitable kinds, with the fruits of past good deeds, and guided by the rightful way, these are the highest blessings. Accomplished in learning and craftsman skills, with discipline highly trained, and speech that is true and pleasant to hear, these are the highest blessings. Providing for mother and father's support and cherishing family and ways of work that harm no being. These are the highest blessing. Generosity and a righteous life. Offering help to relatives and kin and acting in ways that leave no blame. These are the highest blessings, steadfast in restraint and shunning evil ways, avoiding intoxicants that dull the mind, and heedfulness in all things that arise. These are the highest blessings, respectfulness and of humble ways, contentment and gratitude, and hearing the Dharma frequently taught. These are the highest blessings, patience and willingness to accept one's faults, seeing venerated seekers of the truth, and sharing often the words of Dhamma, these are the highest blessings, the holy life lived with ardent effort, seeing for oneself the noble truths and the realization of Nibbana. These are the highest blessings, although involved in worldly tasks, unshaken the mind remains and beyond all sorrows, spotless, secure. These are the highest blessings. They who live by following this path know victory wherever they go, and every place for them is safe. These are the highest blessings. So I want to close with just a couple minutes of meditation.
So just allow yourself to feel your body and your heart. And just register the mood, texture of your mind. And here we are after a three-day weekend, having had all of this time together to get to know each other, to soak in the beauty of this place, and to soak in the depth of these teachings, these rich, luscious teachings, which are so deep and so profound. And we don't do this in a vacuum. This place has been here for decades, supported by teachers and staff and volunteers. And each teacher who has ever taught here has a story of hardship, of challenge, of inspiration, of dedication that has sustained them Bring forward these teachings into the present. And each of us in our own way is a vehicle. Perfect, perfectly imperfect vehicle to hold these teachings, to inquire more, to use them to free, to bring more joy, less sorrow, less grief. And so we have our experience, whatever it is, whatever it has been, that brings us into the present. can just touch what this has been for you how your body feels now, how your heart feels now, what your sense of understanding is now, your sense of hope or possibility for peace is now. And so the blessings of our practice is not only the immediacy of our direct experience, but opening into teachings that have in them depth and profundity that we can use the rest of our life if we choose. Accentuate joy, relinquish sorrow and stress. And so for ourselves, we can just feel the blessings. We can touch into the gratitude for this place, for these teachings, for the teachers, for the staff, for the volunteers, for this magnificent land that holds us bird song 
trees that rustle in the wind and the grass and the flowers. And as we touch into our own gratitude for the rich wealth of what we have, allow this wealth to be shared Sisters, colleagues, everyone in this world, everywhere, they too may have access to teachings which touch, which give them keys peace help them relieve them of the suffering that they have the grief that they hold And I'd like to invite another word necklace of what are you leaving with. Somebody can begin and then we can just move in a a snaky circle. I just feel such a sense of my heart feels full I've had such a wonderful three days together with each of you. I'm glad that you've been here. I hope our paths cross again. It's been a pleasure, a real pleasure, and an honor to be here together. Thank you. And I have a couple of announcements. I would like these back. If anyone has time to make the the little whatever these widgets are called, I've I've got some of some of them are coming out a little bit. They need a little bit of help. So if somebody has patience for that, I would like them back. If if you are have no intention of using your sheets, I can use them. If you will use them, please, they're a gift. And um, there's an email list that's on the table. Um, My health is slowly getting better, which means that I'm doing more teaching. 
And I have a newsletter, which has got Dhamma things in it and video recordings in it and who knows what else. So if that's of interest to you to know different things that I'm doing, sign up. And also, I'm on Facebook, and I do Facebook Live events. And I've just did a whole bunch of Facebook Live events with laughter, yoga, and meditation. Mm-hmm. And I will do more, and I might do more meditation before I do more laughter yoga. But anyway, if, if you engage in Facebook, um, like my, my coaching page, and I will, I will do the Facebook Live events on that. Okay. Yeah, I'm a Tanasanti. Yeah. And then there's a trick to getting notifications if you want to know when I'm doing live events, which I can't remember, but it's posted somewhere. And, um, oh, survey. You will, you will all be getting a survey. In fact, you already have one. At three o'clock, you will all have gotten a survey. This is the first time I've taught a retreat here in years and years and years. I taught a day long. But it's the first multi-day that I've taught. And what I'd love is to come back and do more teaching. But it is supported with your feedback for you to give a report about what your experience was. And if you feel that it was useful, to be descriptive about why. So there's two things about the survey. One is checking the boxes. And the other is giving descriptions about things that were helpful or things you'd like more of. And so when you take the time to do that, it has an impact on on their, like, the quickness with which they get back to me about scheduling more. And if this retreat was good and you'd like it to be longer, let them know that. Okay? And I am complete. Anything else from your side? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. So I want chanting books back, please. Thank you.
What your heart say to do?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.